Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Chad Randall at Life Story Church. We are a grassroots church located in the heart of the Bellevue community in Nashville, Tennessee. Our services are streamed live on Facebook and YouTube every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time. We would love for you to join us. Now here's Pastor Chad Randall. So with that, can I see our sermon graphic? I mentioned we were doing our Blessed Hope Sermon Series. That's actually where, if you haven't seen it because you've only uh, been out at the retreat and you're not a social media person, this is our Blessed Hope uh, Sermon Tile. We've been studying through uh, Paul's letters, Paul's letters to Timothy and to Titus as well. Here we are, church. Here we are. The world and culture that we live in uh, stands at odds which, with much that we hold sacred, with much that hold, we hold sacred, yet, yet we still have this blessed hope, don't we? We still have this peace that surpasses knowledge and understanding. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it? It's a wonderful thing to watch the news and see all, uh, all heck breaking loose in the streets and, and to not be fearful. It's a wonderful thing to, to watch the news and see uh, the enemies of our nation literally tearing at the fabric of our Constitution, yet still not be afraid to have a peace and a hope that passes beyond understanding, surpasses knowledge. You know, Timothy and Titus, Timothy and Titus, uh, they both had to find a way to minister to cultures that bared a striking resemblance to the world that we find ourselves living in today. Cyrus, Cyrus was left on the island of liars in Crete, if you recall our first week's message. Paul uh, left Timothy with the pagans of Ephesus. So there you have it, <laughs> between Titus and Timothy, they're living within the cultures full of liars and pagans. Sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? I said uh, last week, I, I asked you guys right out of the gate, I asked you a question, didn't I? I said, uh, who in here watched the convention, the Democratic uh, convention for their party's nomination last week, right? We had a few hands go up, right? Uh, quite a, I'll do it again this week then. So. Uh, virtual hands going up. Let me see how many of you watched the RNC convention, the president's convention this past week. Show of hands. For anybody who watched it, it was quite a difference in message and optics, wasn't it? Quite a difference. Anybody else here, uh, when you're watching the convention, feel proud to be an American. I don't know about you guys, but when the fireworks are going off and that Lee Greenwood is, is singing that classic, iconic song, uh, I had chill bumps all over my arms. Uh, I'm, I'm proud to be an American. Our children should be raised in our schools that, that this is not a, na a racist country. This is a good country. This is the, the, na the, the largest exporter of charity in the history of the world. For all our faults, that's us guys. A nation that was truly built on uh, Christian values, Judeo-Christian values. The, we have in our hands here something that we should be proud of. We have in our hands here something that we need to hold sacred and something in our hands here that we need to protect. Amen? Amen. You know, I remember a time, 
I remember a time when it seemed difficult. It seemed difficult to determine if somebody was really a follower of Jesus. You know, it's not that hard anymore, is it? Speaking of contrast, speaking of light to dark, right? It's not that hard anymore, is it? And not, not, that, not that there aren't still frauds, you know, not, uh, not that there aren't still frauds, still posers uh, and, and backsliding believers that make things confusing. Of course, uh, we still have uh, those people among us. Uh, now, what I mean is the enemies of our faith, the enemies of truth. It's easier to spot them these days, uh, isn't it? It's easier to spot them. The ones that can't help but reveal the darkness in their hearts when the light is cast upon them. They've come out from behind their masks, haven't they? And I don't mean their COVID mask, pun intended, right? Is that a pun? I think it's a pun. Now, I'm sure there is something to the whole masking thing in any case. Matthew chapter 13 verse 20 through, 24 through 30 reads as such, Another parable he put before them, another parable he put before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. Verse 26, But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? Verse 28, he said to them, An enemy has done this. And the servants said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? Verse 29, But he said, No. Lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Do you see Jesus' heart here? Let both grow, verse 30, let both grow together until the harvest. And at, that, at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn." This verse, interestingly, sometimes people read that and say, oh, first gather the wicked. Preterists will often say, end time uh, rapture theorists will say, uh, you know, this verse is evidence that first the wicked are gathered, okay? Then we're gathered into his barn. That's an incorrect way to look at this. Uh, it, it doesn't say then gather the wheat into my barn. It's a simultaneous event. First gather the, first gather, uh, the tares and bind them into bundles, burn and to burn them, but, but, keyword, not then, it's but, gather the wheat into my barn. Church, the weeds and the wheat have grown tall together, have they not? Do you not feel that? They've grown tall together. Out of, out of the abundance of a man's heart, he does speak. Amen? Luke chapter 6, verse uh, 45. The lines are clearly drawn, and I couldn't help but feel that watching the convention this week. The lines are clearly drawn. If you're okay, hear me now, if you're okay with full-term abortion, let me give that a little room to breathe. If you're okay with full-term abortion, and that was never more real to me than when my uh, child was born. And I realized in that moment, as I held my baby, freshly, newly born, 
newly born, I thought if this had been, uh, if it had been yesterday, an abortion doctor would have been okay with killing this child. Church, that is murder. If you're okay, if you are okay with full-term abortion or violent riots as a form of protest and thusly making excuses or ignoring that, that the violence is a major part of this, then we know who you are now, don't we? But Pastor Chad, but Pastor Chad, it's not that black and white of an issue. You know what? You're right. This has nothing to do with black and white. It's light and dark. It's right and it's wrong. The weeds and the wheat have grown tall together. This alone, this alone on its face is a clue for us as to what hour of history it is in which we live, church. Are you ready for the harvest? Hear me now. Are you ready for the harvest, church? If you said yes, if you said yes, good. Stay ready. Grow taller and taller until he comes. Do you hear me? Amen? In the meantime, though, Paul had some relevant advice uh, for us in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And I think as we study uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse this morning, I think that you're going to find uh, it's shockingly relevant to where we are uh, in this time of history, especially in the history of our nation. So let's go there first. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Can I see that? Therefore, Paul says to Timothy, remember the context I gave you last week? Now, Timothy is living in Ephesus, a, a nation that was known for paganism. Diana was a pagan goddess of, of, of fertility and lasciviousness that they worshipped, worshipped, all right? So he says, therefore, I exhort you. In other words, what exhort means there, church, is I call upon you. I admonish you. I beg you. I beseech you, first of all, which means first things first. Anytime Peter or Paul in their uh, letters say to us, I beg you to do this, I earnestly beg you, which they do a handful of times, or say, if you remember anything, remember this, and you know the severity of w uh, with which they speak. So here's Paul right out of the gate saying, I beg you, I beseech you, I call upon you to first things first, first of all, let's keep reading, that supplications, that prayers, that intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. There is a lot there right out of the gate, isn't there? First thing we see here is that there's four different kinds of prayer that he lays out. I'm begging you, earnestly beseeching you, the first things first, the first thing that you do, pray this way, four different ways. Can I see that picture? Four different kinds of prayer. Supplications. Supplications uh, uh, in the Greek is the word uh, desis. Desis, it means need, uh, indigence, want. Privation. In other words, a seeking, asking, and entreaty to God or man. Hence, offering a request for a felt need that you have or something that you want. You understand? That's a supplication. Whatever you want or need, all right? Uh, 
pray that way, pray for that. And then prayers, he said, uh, supplications, prayers, intercessions, prayers. Why prayers? Isn't, he pray isn't supplications prayers? Yes, but prayers suggest the sacredness of prayer. When you do so, pray in a sacred way as well. Pray for what you want and what you need, but don't lose this element. Pray just in a, in a sacred way as well, okay? Intercession, what's that mean? In the Greek, uh, uh, it, it means to draw near to a person. Intercession, petitions. So draw near to a person and converse confidently with the person, it says. Remember, this is a, this is a Greek word, and it's not always used within the context of prayer if you're just speaking the Greek language. So what's the word mean? To draw near to a person. It emphasizes fellowship. It emphasizes confidence. It emphasizes intimacy. So pray with one another in intimacy and pray for one another with confidence and in, in, in confidence and in intimacy. And then, lastly, he says, with thanksgiving. Pray. I call upon you. I admonish you. I beseech you. I beg you. First things first, give thanksgiving. This is no petition at all. This is rem reminiscent of, uh, of uh, David in Psalm chapter 103, when he just is pouring his heart out to the Lord. And you know what, his, what he's saying when he's pouring out his heart? We just sang it. Bless the Lord, O my soul. I worship your holy name. Amen? Oh, God, do me a favor, and if you're a note taker, I want you to write down right now Psalm 103. And when we're all done here today, I want you to go. I want you to read Psalm 103. Had we met in person at the camp today, I was going to have it just printed on the back of our, of our uh, notes. So do that for me, will you? Uh, Philippians 4, verse 6, Daniel chapter 6, verse 10 through 11, we just see prayers. You know, after Daniel was uh, condemned to be thrown into the lion's den and the king was tricked, uh, we, we, we read that story back in Daniel chapter 6, the first thing that he did is he went, went up to his room and he threw open the windows and he prayed those three times a day just like he always did. And the first thing he did when he opened his mouth is he just gave thanks after having just received a death sentence. Church, hear me here. He opened the windows and he gave thanks. And then it says he uh, prayed supplications. But the first thing he did, church, was he prayed and gave thanks giving. So going back to, can I go back to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, Evangeline, can we go back to that verse? I'm going to backtrack a little bit, not to make you skip around, but let, let me see that verse. Verse 1 again. Therefore, therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intersections, uh, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Do you see that there? Who is Paul begging Timothy to pray for in all of these different ways. Pray in all of these different ways for who? Did you see that? All men. All men. This brings to mind, church, doesn't it? It brings to mind uh, to us that he would have it that none would be lost. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 tells us that he would have it that none would be lost. All men and women of the world, of the earth, he would have it that they all come to a saving faith. All men he wants us to pray for in this way. Also, this verse makes an important point, doesn't it? No one, no one, hear me now, church, no one 
on earth is outside the influence of a praying believer. No one. It doesn't matter if they're an unbeliever, you pray for them. It's going to make a difference. It's going to affect them. It's going to affect the situation. No one on earth, believer or not, is outside the influence of a praying believer. So let that encourage you this morning. If there's anybody that you have in your heart, in your life, that they're lost, that you know they're lost, and you know that time is short, and the Lord has put an incredible burden on your heart for that person, but it feels hopeless, it's not hopeless, church. It is not hopeless. No one on earth is outside the influence of a praying believer. Uh, we see that reference in Numbers chapter 14, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 7, uh, chapter 12, Jeremiah chapter 7, Jeremiah chapter 14, all references I was going to give you on your handout. But, you know, I'm telling you, guys, throughout the Word of God, we see this pattern play out. So keep praying, amen, in all these different ways. Pray in a sacred manner. Pray uh, for that person in, in confidence, in an intimate way. Pray for them. Pray for the, their wants and their needs, whatever they need to come to the end of themselves and give thanks for them while you're doing it. Incredible. It's just the Lord's heart. There it is. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. There's that heart we, we see pop up throughout Scripture, right? So... Uh, considering, considering that's who he's called you uh, to pray for, it brings to our attention, it brings to our attention, doesn't it, what might feel like an inconvenient uh, reality. You're being asked to pray for, hear me church, the very people who are trying to tear down our nation as we speak. You, Christian, are called to pray for them. But don't, now don't for a second, don't for a second think that that means that you, uh, you are to passively let them do it. Okay, don't get things mixed up here. The most powerful weapon that we as Christians have is God. You must remember that. That said, uh, there is somebody that somebody else that you, Christians, are admonished to pray for. comes to us in verse 2. Some of y'all might not like this verse, what Paul has to say, but let's read it. Verse 1, in all of these different ways, remember all the different kinds of prayers, pray for all men. Continuing the thought, continuing Paul's thought, verse 2 reads, let's read. For kings, hmm, well there are some people that sure don't like our president these days. And uh, I would honestly be surprised if they were praying for his well-being. For kings, that's who we have to pray for. And all who are in authority. Not uh, all, who are, you know, all who are in authority. I've got to pray for, that means I've got to pray for my governor. I've got to pray for my mayor of my city. Church, we've got to be praying for these people that, they, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, finishing out that verse. Okay, now I know what you're thinking. Come back to me here. I know what you're thinking. You might be thinking, does that mean that I have to pray for Joe Biden? <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. Don't worry, he's not president, all right? Amen. 
I'm joking, but seriously, please do pray for that guy, all right? Full disclosure here, I need to tell you guys. Um, how, I don't know how else to say this, but I didn't vote for Obama. I'm coming clean here. I didn't vote for Obama. But you know what we did do? We prayed for him in service very often. And a lot of you guys who were uh, in uh, past churches that we have... Uh, that we have shepherded, or if you were a part of Life Story Church uh, when he was still president a few years ago, you remember we prayed for him in service very often, honoring what Paul has called us to do right here, all right? We need to be praying for our leaders, the church. Uh, you know, as a matter of fact, I remember back then, uh, some of you watching might remember, the darker and darker things got in our nation, the more and more we prayed for our president, for that office, for that man. We have to pray. Here's the catch, guys. We have to pray for our leaders, whether we like them or agree with their policy or agree with their vision for the future of our nation. Whether we agree with them or not, we need to be praying for them. But there are two pieces to this, uh, this verse, uh, verse 2 here. Two pieces. The second part of that reads that, that, we might lead, that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life in all goodliness, godliness, and reverence, right? Point is, so that the gospel can continue to go out to the lost uninterrupted by said leaders. Pray for those leaders so we can continue to do our job without them getting in the way, without them bringing down heat on us for doing what God has called us to do. So pray for them. Amen? So the, God, so the gospel can continue to go out. This is kind of a big deal. This is kind of a big deal. We need to understand this, especially in the times that we are living in. Church, are we really supposed to submit to government authority? Not just nationally. If you like the president, you're good, you might be good with that, right? But if you hate the president, you might not be good with that. This is talking locally as well. Are we, come on now, am I really supposed to submit to Mayor Cooper? Hmm? Is that what I'm hearing here? This is important, okay? Let me share with you Romans chapter 13, verse 1 through 2. Romans 13, 1 through 2. You guys got your coffee? I'm going to take a drink. Let's read. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. Oh, no, I don't like where this is going. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Okay. Now, that might sound frightening to some of you guys here, but let me explain something to you. This word judgment here, uh, the word judgment in verse 2, therefore whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, uh, and, and those who resist will bring judgment. You've got to keep in mind we're reading Greek here, and that not, does not mean spiritual judgment to suggest that there will be con spiritual condemnation uh, regarding your acts it is out of step with the entire gospel. So what we see here is he's saying, you know, you're going to bring some heat down upon you. You're going to bring the judgment of the government down upon you if you're breaking the law. 
Okay, so we need to understand that also on this topic, many, many think of uh, Mark chapter 12, verse 17, when we're, when we're on this subject, when Jesus said, do you remember what he said? Render to Caesar what is, somebody say it for me. You guys engaged here? How are we doing? Render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's, right? So one thing that is often lost in that verse church. It isn't just a call to, to be a submissive, uh, a blanket statement for submissive. The beautiful thing that's often missed in that verse when uh, Jesus says, render to Caesar what is Caesar and to God's what is God's is this. Can I see this next graphic? Let me see this graphic. What is lost in this verse is this. Whose image was on the coin? Caesar's. So give it to Caesar. Church, though, whose image is in you? You were made in the image of Christ, weren't you? So effectively, Jesus right here is saying, we are submissive to God first, and then secondarily to authorities. Let me say that again. You are to be submissive to God first, and then secondarily to authorities. By being submissive, church, by being submissive uh, to Him, uh, we will know when and how we should uh, submit or stand. Because the time will come where you, we will all be called to either submit to governing, governing authorities or stand up against governing authorities. And the only way we'll know uh, whether to sit or stand effectively is if we are first in submission to the king of kings. Amen? Do you understand that? You know, some rioters may feel like they have a just cause. They may feel like they have a just cause. Uh, uh, I mean, that is those who aren't being paid to be there, of course, right? Uh, but do their actions, hear me now, do their actions suggest that they are first submissive to God? I say no. The war, you got to remember, guys, the war of independence was a defensive war. The de declaration, it threw off the tyrannical chains uh, and taxation, the very taxation, by the way, that some in this nation are trying to reinstitute today. First Peter chapter 2, uh, verse 13 through 15 reads, Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. There we see that again. So the Lord's work can be done for the sake of the Lord. And what is the Lord's heart? What's the agenda? He, remember, his agenda is that none would be lost. Whether to the king as supreme or to the governors or to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers. Pay attention to that. For the punishment of evildoers. And for the praise of those who do good. Verse 15, for this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. There are two points for us here. This verse that is often pointed to in regards to uh, advising Christians that they should submit to the government. Uh, two points that Peter makes, that we must make ourselves aware of. The first point clearly, clearly defines the role of a king or governor as a keeper or keeper of the law and, and a punisher of evildoers and a celebrator of those who do good. That's Paul saying, 
Paul's saying, obey these guys, right? Why? Because this is the punisher of evildoers and it's the celebrator of those who do good. But what happens, church, when neither is the case? What happens when the governor, president, mayor, whoever doesn't hold evildoers accountable? What happens when they, as a matter of fact, celebrate the evildoers versus celebrating those that do good? What happens? when neither is the case. That's the first point. The second point is we need to understand and make ourselves aware of is that the Bible doesn't speak. It doesn't speak in terms of democracy or republic, okay? We are the president's boss, all right? We are the governor's boss. We are the mayor's boss in this form of government that our forefathers set up for us. You are the boss of your school board that your children are going to. Do you know that? Do you feel, do you feel like the school board has power over you, dictates to you? Or do you feel like they have a healthy understanding that you voted them in? Do you have a, a healthy understanding that they work for you? Are you getting this, church? Are you getting this? You've got to understand the difference of systems. You've got to understand the whole, the whole uh, mind of the Middle Eastern area was kings and kingdoms. We are a democracy, or rather a republic, which ultimately makes the people the king. You are the king. Everybody else in the government works for us. That's how it's supposed to work, church. So we hold up an office. We are submissive to an office that executes the laws that we have sanctioned and instituted by supporting them and their agendas. So we submit to the laws that we have agreed to follow, essentially. And that person is ultimately the employee of the people who's just making sure that things get done the way we want them to get done. Much different than a monarchy, all right? So <laughs> we must remember that we've got a system of laws and we respect the offices. We, we respect those offices. But also when those laws, when those laws are broken by those in office, church, it's our duty to the Constitution and it's our duty to our children. Hear me? To demand the removal of said leaders. But, you know, as much as it's up to you, keep the peace. 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Let's read uh, verse 3 and 4. For this is good. This is good. That word good there in the Greek it's, uh, has a further definition of this is what's fair. For it's fair. Uh, it also could be translated as beautiful. For this is beautiful. This is good, fair, beautiful, and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Verse 4, who desires, here it is again, church, come on now, who desires what? That all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's why he said, I beg you, I beseech you, pray and pray in this way and pray for who? For all men, for the kings, for the rulers, those in power that they would come to the knowledge of the truth so that, so that the kings would not impede the progress of the gospel that we're charged to carry out. For this is the most important thing, the most important thing that there is, the most important thing on the agenda of every believer. Shouldn't be public policy, but, but that the gospel goes out, 
and that hearts are touched, that lives are saved, then we can get to policy, right? Then we can get to politics. So if all possible, essentially what Paul is saying here is, if at all possible, keep the government off your back and, and, and do your work. So you can do your work. But then contrast this with Acts chapter 4, verse 18 and 21. Because this is, this is a, it's a multi-tiered issue, isn't it? Acts chapter 4, verse 18 through 21 reads, So they called them, the Pharisees called them, the apostles, and commanded them, Peter, not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. That could be a problem, don't you think? Verse 19, But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. In other words, should we deny the command of God to obey you? To obey any governor? or mayor? No. Verse 20, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Verse 21, so when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them. And pay attention to this now. Because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. Church, did you see that? Did you see that? The people, the people were bigger than the law. The law that wanted to shut God up, the, those representatives that wanted to take their traditions, I should say traditions rather than law, there was law to them, but it wasn't God's law. Those, those, the people, the people that were receiving the truth were bigger and they held the power. They were bigger than the law that wanted to shut God up. And that's you, church. That is you. You are those people. You're called to be. We must be. When God gives us a defender of his word, the enemies of liberty will try to punish him every time. The people's voice must be loud. The people of God's voice must be loud. I keep hearing all this stuff about the silent majority, the silent majority. Oh, well, you know, uh, those in America who, you know, they don't believe in abortion, so they're, you know, uh, they just don't want to be found out by the state, so they're quiet, so they, they don't take polls. There's the silent majority that's going to show up on election day and vote in, uh, vote, vote down a president that is for full-term abortion and socialism and vote in the guy who's pro-life, right? The silent majority is going to show up on election day. Church, we need to open our mouths now. Why weren't uh, uh, John and Peter charged that day? Because of the people. The people's voice must be loud. You're, you, you are, you got to understand this, you are your own best defense against tyranny. You feel like the, 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 the leadership of this nation has been running towards communism and socialism for the last few decades? Yeah, me too. Do you know what your best defense is against that? It's you. It's you. The enemies of this nation, church, will only gain ground until you are aware 
of that fact. Biblical submission, hear me here, biblical submission is a readiness to obey the law and uphold legal order. It is, it is. But it is not an approval or endorsement of all lawmakers or even all laws. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, Jesus referred to John the Baptist as such. Remember, he said, among them there are born of women, that there hath risen none are greater. Of all men born of women, none are greater than John the Baptist. He said that of John. Yet where was John when Jesus said this about him? He was in prison. He was in prison for publicly indicting the king. Do you understand? Do you hear that? Do you feel me, church? Don't lose your spine, church. Don't lose your spine. We need to get a backbone. We need to get some teeth. The church has for too long grown toothless. We need to have some teeth. We need to have some grit. Don't be afraid of being canceled. Amen? Do you hear me? You hear my heart on this? We cannot. We cannot intercede. I say this all the time. The Holy Spirit is within us. We are the restrainers of darkness in this world. Until the restrainer is removed, right? We are the restrainers of darkness via the Holy Spirit that is within us. We have to speak out. We have to speak loud because of the people, because of you, church. Come on. Don't be afraid to be canceled. Say the, speak the truth. And if anybody comes against you, they're not, they're not speaking again. Don't take it personally. It's the truth they have an issue with. Come on, let's keep reading. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 through 7 reads then, verse 5, For there is one God, there is one God and one mediator. One God equals one mediator. In other words, church, no other person can qualify. No one, nobody else can qualify. No saints can qualify. No, not Mary, no governor, not even a president. There is one God and one mediator between God and between men. The man Christ Jesus, that's who. Verse 6, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. That word ransom there, that is, that is a key word, a crux word for us as believers. There he is. Jesus has given himself, gave himself. No man took his, own, his life from him. He gave it freely, willingly to be the ransom paid. We see all these movies today. Somebody's kidnapped and the kidnappers want a ransom. They get the ransom. He paid your ransom, church. That, that word in the Greek is this word. Can we see that? Antilutron, antilutron, the word in Greek. It's, it simply means this. It means what you thought it meant. What is given in exchange for another as the price of his redemption? Thus ransom. Christ paid the full price for our release from bondage, from despair, church, and from death, our redemption. Do you feel me on that? He paid our ransom. Mm, compare and contrast that. Uh, John W. Lawrence wrote uh, a, a book called The Six Trials of Jesus. And we talked a little bit about this back around Christmas time, but 
I want to share this with you. He wrote in that book, he, he, he penned out for us the gospel according to Barnabas. Can we see that graphic? Let's read it together. Barabbas. We all know the story of Barabbas, right? Who was condemned to die. And Pilate let the people choose who he would let go for free, either Jesus or Barabbas. And the crowd chose Barabbas, the murderer. Barabbas stood under the righteous condemnation of the law. Barabbas knew the one who would take his place on the cross was innocent. Barabbas knew that Jesus was a true substitute for him. Barabbas knew he had not done nothing to merit going free while another took his place. He'd done nothing. Didn't earn it. Didn't deserve it. Barabbas knew Jesus' death was for him thusly. And he knew, not only that, but he knew that Jesus' death was effective in saving him. Do you know that? They changed places. The murderer's bonds, curse, disgrace, and mortal agony were translated to the righteous Jesus, while liberty, innocence, safety, and well-being of the Nazarene became the lot of the murderer. Barabbas is installed in, the, in all the rights and privileges of Jesus, while the latter enters upon all the infamy and horror of the rebel's position. Both mutually inherit each other's situation and, and what they possess. The delinquent's guilt and cross become the lot of the just one. And all the civil rights and immunities of the latter are now the property of the delinquent. Ransom, church. Jesus has paid your ransom. Let's read verse 7, and we'll wrap up here for today. Verse 7. Actually, let me read it. Let me, let's read verse 6 into 7. Can we start there? Verse 5. Let's read all vi verse 5 through 7. Can we do that? Evangeline, verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator <clears throat> between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. Verse 6. Who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. And verse 7. For which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. To be testified in due time. Much as for, for which... The due time which he was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth. The word apostle there specifically refers to the first apostles that walked with Jesus. Paul mentions that he's an apostle there to count himself as one of the twelve, one of them, right? to identify his uh, authority to speak. But interesting point there, I looked at the word preacher there in um, the Greek, and I always, I always was nervous about being a pastor, and I tell this story all the time, and you know, Amber would tell me I'm supposed to be a pastor, and I would nervously say, well, I wouldn't know what to say for 45 minutes, right? I don't know if I could. I think you got this all wrong, uh, honey. But uh, you know, when I looked up the word uh, preacher in just the Webster's Dictionary of English. It just said one who proclaims the gospel and said, oh, well, I can do that. That's not, 
That's not as hard as, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, we're all called to do that, right? It just gave me some ease emotionally, it quelled my nerves a little bit, made it seem like it was more of a, just a normal thing to be a preacher, right? Because um, it had a, the stigma uh, to it for me, the, the word. Anyway, the word in Greek here, can I see that? Listen to how Paul is describing himself here. A herald, can we see it? A herald or messenger vested with public authority who conveyed the official messages of kings. Mm. He's a messenger in the kingdom of God. Look at that. A herald or messenger vested with, a pu with public authority. Public authority he has in the kingdom. Who conveyed the official messages of kings, magistrates, princes, military commanders, or who gave public summons or demands. Remember, this is a Greek word. So this is a Greek word, whether you're in the context of Christianity or not. This is the uh, word Paul is choosing to use. It's a military word as well. Magistrate, uh, message, trading in mess, official messages of kings, magistrates, princes, military commanders, or who gave public summons or demands. In the New Testament, God's ambassador, in other words. And the herald or proclaimer of the divine word of God. Church. Mm, all you pastors out there, I hope you preachers, proclaimers of the gospel, and that should be all of us. You hear me? This is an official position in the kingdom of God. It's an office in the kingdom of God. Pretty cool. He goes on to say, I, this is who I am, and I'm speaking the truth in Christ, and I'm not lying. Do you hear his heart? I'm not lying. This is the truth teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. And verse 8, lastly, I desire, I desire, with that setup, he says, I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Holy hands there. I love that. There's a song that we do in worship. We sing, my hands go up. You guys know that song? Jonathan Lee wrote that song. So cool. We lift our hands in praise. Why do we lift our hands when, you know, not everybody likes to raise their hands in church, but I encourage it. Why do I encourage it? Because this is, it's symbolic. There are all kinds of different postures throughout the Word of God when it comes to praying. Some, but this was common. It was a common posture to raise hands while praying. Now, we, through Scripture, we find kneeling. We uh, find people laying prostrate. What's most important, obviously, when we're going to the Lord and giving Him praise is the condition of the heart. The heart is the most important. And this verse references that. What did it say? Uh, can I see that verse again? It says, uh, holy hands. The lifting up of the hands, it means a holy life, clean hands. L I want every, men to pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands, symbolic of a holy life, clean hands. No blood is on your hands, right? A blameless life as referenced in 2 Samuel and in Psalm 24, right? Without wrath is important in this verse too, and without doubting. So without anger, everyone everywhere, pray, lifting up holy hands, lifting up clean hands, without anger, without doubting. Or you could say here without disputing as well in the faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. One last verse. Let me close on this verse. Uh, Hebrews 11, verse 6 tells us, 
But without faith, it is impossible. It is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek them. I underlined that because you have to understand, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he is who he says he is, that he is God. You know, in, in our culture, I, should, I could do a teaching on um, that's not in the Bible as people are saying, believing in the blasphemy. Uh, what blasphemy is, that so many people think that it's something that you say, right? Or lingually, you know, swearing is, don't blaspheme, right? If somebody swears and says the name of the Lord in vain, which is another totally out of context thing, right? Blasphemy is when you deny that Jesus is Christ. Then you deny that Jesus is God. To say that Jesus is not God is to blaspheme. So that's why it's so important for he who comes to God must believe that he is. And can I see that Hebrews verse again? And this last part, don't lose this. Believe this as well, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I dare you. I dare you. I dare you. Seek him diligently with all of your heart, church. I, I dare you to do that. And you know what? I, I can fir firmly say that because you will be blessed. You will be rewarded for seeking him diligently with all your heart. Uh, you'll be rewarded in so many different ways you can't even imagine. Now, I'm not talking about winning the lottery. I'm talking about this spiritual fulfillment spiritual, intellectual, emotional. Now, there's so many, so many people within the church, they're just, they rock back and forth and they struggle with emotional stability. They struggle in so many different ways. They struggle within their relationships with one another. They struggle, they struggle, they struggle. They struggle with their perceptions and perspectives uh, of people, struggle with their uh, uh, perspectives in life in general. And there's one common thing uh, that, that for all those struggling in all those different ways, one common thing that I continue to see is that they are not, they are not diligently seeking after the things of God in their life. If you will diligently seek after the things of God, you will be rewarded. And that blessed hope, that peace that we talked about when we opened today, it will be yours. It passes beyond understanding, passes beyond knowledge even, church. So, so let us come to him this morning, church, in faith, with holy hands raised, amen, in all kinds of prayer. Do you hear me? Supplications, intercessions, sacredness, and thanksgiving, for he has paid our ransom. Do you receive that this morning, church? Come on now. And he has called us to live peaceably and respectfully uh, as much as it's up to us, as much as it's up to us, as a people who have been called to make building the kingdom of God our top priority. One soul prayed for at a time. Amen? But we will not shrink back. We will not shrink back from this calling, and thanks be to God that we have a constitution, amen, that by law, by law of this land, protects our inclination to do so, amen.
and amen. All right. Let's close there this morning. With every eye closed and every head bowed today. Guys, I hope your heart is blessed. I hope your uh, spirits are lifted. I hope that you feel the peace of the Lord on you today as a result of our study. I pray that you walk away from this message with hope in your heart. If you're here this morning and the Holy Spirit is moving on your heart, maybe it's calling you to pray for some people you haven't been praying for. Maybe it's calling you to realize that you are called to stand up. You are called to speak out and let your voice be heard. Maybe you're realizing that this whole silent majority thing, just it's not going to get the Lord's task accomplished. Understanding that you are the restrainer. You are the restrainer in this hour of history that should restrain the darkness and push it back. Or maybe you're watching this morning and you just feel Jesus reaching a hand to you where you are, reaching into the darkness where you've been and asking to pull you into the light. If, you, if you're feeling his hand reaching out to you, whatever it is, just let's do this. Every eye closed, every head bowed, right where you are in your living room. Whether you're alone, whether you're alone or with friends or family, lift up your hands with me. Raise your holy hands. Raise your holy hands and say this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, that the truth cuts through the lies. It cuts through darkness. I thank you for the instruction that you've given us in this word. Thank you for Paul. Thank you for Timothy. I thank you for their hearts and their desires, Father, to press into you, to diligently seek you. I want to be counted among them that diligently seek you. Lord Jesus, I'm, right now I'm asking for that reward in my life. I'm asking for that peace in my life, Lord Jesus. I'm tired of living my life uh, um, uh, swinging emotionally from one extreme to another. I'm tired of living in fear, perhaps. I'm tired of not having that hope and that peace that you're working promises, Lord. So please, Lord Jesus, give me, give me the direction, Father, to, to, to press into you, press into your word. Lord Jesus, I come before you and I make this commitment in my heart that I'm going to diligently seek after you. I'm going to diligently seek to find you in your word and what you have for me in your word, the peace that you have for me. Lord, speak to my heart. Speak to my heart, Father, and bring the comfort that only you can give. Now, if you're, if you're praying with us and you've never surrendered your heart, you've never diligently sought him truly in your life, and you want to make that commitment, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, that that ransom was truly paid, that he truly took the punishment that you deserved, he truly stepped into the place that was destined for you, and thusly, all of the blessings that were upon him have now transferred to you. You've got to understand that other side of the card with, with a ransom being paid. You have also now stepped into his blessing and position and innocence. If you've never understood that and you want to put your faith and trust in him and say thank you this morning, right now, uh, say this prayer with me. Holy hands raised. Say, Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you love me. I believe that you, you died on the cross for my sin to pay the debt that was mine, to pay the ransom that was demanded for my soul. 
I believe that 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 payment was received in full as the tomb was empty on the third day. Now, Lord Jesus, I trust you for my salvation. I trust you. I put my faith in that work. put my faith that it is finished. I put my faith in that it is enough to save me. So come into my heart and make me new, Lord Jesus. Direct me as I diligently press into you and seek you out, Lord Jesus. Mm, with all my heart, in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. We love you guys. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he pour favor out on your lives. May you grow in grace and knowledge of him and his goodness. May you prosper in all you do. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. We love you guys. We'll see you Wednesday night at 7 p.m. I love you.